0: Instead of, for me, pushing my agenda and my favourite wines, it's more going, how can I elevate your experience? Like, why are you here tonight? And yes, if you want an amazing food and wine experience, I'm going to offer that to you. But if you don't want to talk to me, that's cool as well. Like, I feel like that's where I'm at now. I'm like, how am I going to make this the most seamless experience for you and not intimidate you as well?
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Food and wine matches that work are greater than the sum of their parts. More than something delicious to eat, more than a glass of something nice. Often they're about how they facilitate an experience, but how does one deliver those experiences that formed fond memories and a yearning to do it again? Luella Matthews is the head sommelier of Bebo Wine Bar in Sydney. Luella, how are you going?
0: Good. How are you, Anthony? I'm
1: good. Thanks for joining us. You've, uh, you grew up in the – started in the country, in Orange, New South Wales. Um, what, what drew you to hospitality and uh, that sort of front-of-house experience?
0: Um, I, I started like any kind of normal student, um, leaving high school thinking I had to go to university. Um, so I was studying psychology – at Charles Sturt and then did a little trip up to Armidale as well and did a little bit of study up there. Um, But I always, no matter what, uh, you know, I had to fund my my education and my – so I had to work in restaurants. So I was really fortunate. Um, When I was in Orange, I was looking for a job and I was walking around getting rejected by all these really bad cafes. (laughs) And then I walked into – Lolly Rudini, which is a one hat restaurant in Orange, uh, with Simone and Leah. And I just went in with a fresh attitude and they decided to give me a chance. And uh, you know, I've been so grateful ever since because before I kind of worked there, I was the fussiest eater. You know, I was a normal 18 year old, just drank vodka Red Bulls. <laughs> 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 and uh, I just, they, I pretty much just kind of dove into it and really wanted to impress them. And I think, um, you know, in anything that I do, I really, I hate not knowing the answer to anything. So when I was there, I was like, I'm, you know, I studied all the ingredients because I'd never heard of them. Um, started looking at the wines and um, went from there. And then, so I was kind of still studying, going to and through. And then there was another restaurant um, called Racine, um, which unfortunately isn't there anymore. It was a beautiful restaurant um, out on... Um, at Luckily Vineyard and I was working for them part-time and the manager was leaving. And at this stage I was like, I don't want to study psych anymore. Um, <laughs> so I, find, I, I found out that it was more kind of science-focused and I'm a little bit more on the artsy, <laughs> you know, yin and yang side. Um, and they were like, the manager was leaving and they were like, do you want to be the manager? I was <laughs> 20, I think 22 at the time. And I was like, yeah, of course I want to be oh, – look <laughs> at that pay packet. I was like, yeah, that would be great. And um, that's, that was owned by Sean and Willa. They still own um, Racing Bakery in town, which is incredible. And they they took me to Key, and they were like, this is, you know, this is three-hat restaurant, this is fine dining, um, this is what, you know, we're not going to get three hats, but this is, the you know, the style of service that we want. And so I just was, you know, that was an incredible experience to go there anyway, especially in that little tower. And so from then on, I remember coming back. I took, you know, that's when everything was really trendy, like you had nothing on the table. So I would, like, just put the tablecloths on. I'd iron the tablecloths. This is at, like, 12, you know, in this tiny little restaurant in Orange, outside of Orange. Um, And, you know, we did degustation and... um, and carte as well, but uh, we got our one hat, I think, three years in a row while I was managing there. And, and then Sean and Willa were amazing. Um, they were the ones that kind of, you know, I was like, oh, I don't know what to do if I should study business. And they both kind of sat me down and said, hey, like, we'd love you to stay with us forever, but you're really amazing at this. And hospitality is a real career. You probably should go to Sydney. <laughs> they're like don't leave us I remember when I resigned they're like we know <laughs> I was like I know <laughs> um, and yes then I moved to the big city um and went shopping I guess was so nervous like I'd been managing a restaurant for three years and then moving you know Sydney was a whole different ball game um because I was almost like a self-taught waiter and manager and just kind of learnt from observing in other restaurants and observing other managers
1: well Orange has uh, amazing uh, wineries and some amazing restaurants, and some of them you listed. What's some of the seminal experiences that you had uh, with wine early on that sort of led you to where you are now
0: the first the first and the one of the most memorable experiences would be um, with Stephen and Ron Doyle out at Bloodwood, so they're one of the first wineries. but their story is just incredible they're like ex librarians. Um, you know, traveled around Europe, fell in love with wine and I remember going there, not really knowing much, but they took me around the whole winery, but they were the first people to teach me about um, terroir and minerality. So they really showed me the map. They're like, this is why we, we put Riesling on our um, schist soils because of this and you can taste it now in the wine and we put Merlot on clay and we put Cabernet on gravel and I hadn't really experienced that before, and I'll never, ever forget that. And I remember they used to have these booklets. They used to um, save all the labels, and they had like, you know, Penfolds Grange, $6. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, like 1982, Chateau um, Petrus, like $40. I was like, and that would have been so, you know, whoa, that's so expensive. Um, but they were just, you know, they immersed themselves in wine, like everything they talked about was wine related and they were really good cooks as well and they always did these you know if we ever did it wine dinners or wine and food matches they were really involved so they were they were one of the first where I was like okay wine is really special so the next winery um, would be Charlie um, and Loretta Svensson at Desalis Winery. Winery um, just because they came in they were super ambitious um, started their own Sparkling project, um, which is you know incredibly expensive in its own right, and but they also focused. They almost kind of introduced me to like premium French wines, but through their style. So they, you know, were obsessed with Burgundy, obsessed with Bordeaux. So they had Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, um, and obsessed with Champagne as well. So I remember they would I would go there and they'd be like, you know, this is like Krug. I'm like, who's Krug? <laughs> this is the this is what the bottle's like this is why we do this this is like you know um and just listing all of these producers in my head i was like yeah of course and then i was like okay note to self look that up <laughs> when i get home um but yeah they're pretty incredible as well and then of course i've made a wine this year um oh, sorry in 2019 um so when i was even younger this is before i started working restaurants um When I first moved to Orange, I started a friendship with a girl called Nadia Wallington, and she lived out on a winery. So um, as you do, she would stay at my house one weekend, then we'd stay at hers. And we would, you know, we'd be like 16. Her mum would be like, guys, can you help me with harvest? We would be brats and be like, oh, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Fine, we'll help you do pump overs. And now we're like, oh, can we make a wine? Thanks, Margaret. <laughs> um, so, of course, we had a dinner, had a few wines and we were like, let's let's do this. Let's make a wine together. Um, so, she she was a bit more, I remember when we were at school, she's like, I want to study viticulture and winemaking. Um, but uh, she's incredible. I've learned so much of her, especially from this project. Like, Australian winemakers are incredible. Like, they're they're like lab rats, you know, the way, how they can manipulate the wine. Sometimes, yes, maybe a little bit too far, but the little tweaks and the little nudges that they do that people don't realize, I learned so much. And she's just, she's incredible. She's traveled like everywhere, Napa, South Africa, Bordeaux, um, you name it, she's been there. So she's I still learn from her. Every time she comes down, I'm like, what's this? Why is this like this? You know, they've got such technical palettes, whereas, you know, somes are more like artists. <laughs> we'll, we'll interpret it. We'll be like, oh, this smells like this. We don't know why. Well, we do. We try to figure it out. But, you know, we kind of start with this is what it's like and then why is it like that? Whereas I feel like winemakers are like they start from the bottom and then go to the top.
1: You worked at some amazing regional restaurants, but how different was it for you coming to Sydney uh, and working in the restaurants in the in the city?
0: Um, so, it was very daunting, um, especially coming from Orange. I didn't really um, experience a lot of other cultures. So I remember, you know, um, I started at Rockpool and George, the OG Rockpool um, back <laughs> in the day. And, you know, there's Italians and French and I just was so intimidated. I was like, oh, my God, I'm an uncultured bogan from Orange. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to say bogan properly. Um, and I'll just never forget, like, my first shift. So I was like, no, you can do this. Like, you've know, been a restaurant manager And Silvio, this, you know, he's amazing experience, like manage like, you know, Michelin star restaurants, hotels. And I was carrying, I was, you know, you start off as a food runner and I was carrying the plates and he's like, um, you, you're supposed to carry them on the other hand. I was like, what? He's like, you're carrying them on the wrong side. I'm not left handed or anything. I just taught myself that way. So for the next like four weeks, I had to like i was so mortified and so embarrassed but i had to learn how to carry through plates again it was incredibly humbling experience but i was like i was like oh my god i just it was horrible it was horrible um but you know i moved past it but you know it's always those first four weeks in like a new job you know it's always pretty daunting but then you know fell in love with it fell in love with the place you know i always loved neil's kind of philosophy Um, And the the teams that he seems to bring together are always pretty incredible. Um, And, you know, I really loved – I stayed with Rockpool like three and a half, four years and kind of moved around. Like we moved to Bridge um, then we moved to Bar and Grill. I moved to Bar and Grill. And I just – like everything that I know um, about wine and about managing a wine program is through that, 100%. Um, They – Just from everything, like if I, I always give, you know, if you've got a young sommelier who's like, where should I work first? And I'm like, you should always work for those big companies because they, you do everything there. You know, you learn how to catalogue wines properly. You know how to cost wines properly. You know, you know you just all the instead of just knowing about wine. Like it's really important to have the knowledge, of course. But, you know, if you want to run a business one day, you have to learn all of those things. It does come at a price, <laughs> but it's worth it. As long as you get out of it what you need, you know, it's it's the incredible experiences and not to mention the crazy wines that you get to try that you would never be able to afford.
1: You've also um, completed um, Wine and Spirit Education Trust and also uh, became a court of sommelier our Court of Masters sommelier is Certified Somalia. Tell us about what you got out of those experiences.
0: I think both of them go really well hand in hand. Um, so if anybody is wondering what to do, if you're doing like your Wessit Level 3 and you're certified, they're kind of crossover. So it's good just to tick um, both of those boxes. Um, Wessit for me is really good just to start the groundwork. Like it's got a really nice frame because there's so much, like, the more you learn about wine, the more you realise that you have no idea. Um, whereas Wes, it's really nice at, like, breaking that down and they're like, this is where you should start. And then you kind of add on, um, add on as you go. Like, the amount of times I've studied a region, like, five, six, seven times and every time I learn something new, it's quite frustrating. <laughs> Isn't that, I was like, oh, it's almost, what's that Albert Einstein quote that's like, <laughs> the definition of his insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. I'm like, that's literally what I'm doing. Um, that whereas Court of Master Sommelier is certified, I think that's great. It really like pushes the nerve boundaries. You know, like it's you have to do a practical examination. It's very stressful, um, but you know, being on the floor is really stressful in hospitality. You. You have to be on, you know, as soon as that first customer walks in, you have to be on the whole time. So I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's a bit old school. Like I actually really like the old school approach to like opening a bottle, putting, you know, the cork in the cork tray and presenting everything. And it's just nice. You know, you might, you know, I work in a casual wine bar now um, and you might not use that every day, but it's just really nice to have that kind of foundation. And then you decide, you know which parts are important for your for your program or not, but yeah,
1: you've traveled all over the globe to go to different wine regions. What's been some real highlights for you?
0: uh number one, oh, actually, I was like, well, number one Alsace, no number one is alsace um that was just incredible, like food and wine matching, um but just you know the concentration of Michelin star restaurants. And the wine, uh, the wine programs that they offer was just incredible. But also, like, the hospitality, the, they were just everyone's so lovely. They're so generous with their time, you know, um, visiting different vineyards. And then also, like, going to the local taverns and having, like, incredible food and wine matches. Like, I remember I didn't really understand um, Gewürztraminer, for a really long time which is like this really oily very heavy doesn't have a lot of acid um smells like turkish delight it's like this it's great in a blind tasting because you're like nothing else tastes like this in the world um but you're like i just i don't understand why, why are you making it like this and then I had, like, some spatzel and then some pork and sauerkraut. And I was like, oh, this is for sauerkraut. I was like, oh, I get it now. Like, the sauerkraut's so, like, high in acid. It's vinegar. Like, uh, it was such an incredible match. And I was like, I totally understand why. And even, like, their Rieslings, which I love. They're some of my favorite Rieslings in the world. But they're quite rich. And when you eat the food there, you're like, everything's really rich. And, you know, it needs – they kind of complement each other, and it just totally makes made more sense. So I think I had a lot of like, oh my god moments there. And then the second one would be, um, Japan was just incredible. Even though maybe wine, it's it's a funny one because it was wine experiences, even though they don't make much wine there. But it was more like the food. I mean, is always incredible. But we everywhere we went had like a Vintech. <laughs> I, I thought it was incredible. And their approach to wines, like, I mean, maybe that's just their approach. You know, they just, everything was done with such care. So we went to so many different wine stores. It was just, I was like, this is insane. Like the the amount of different wine stores that offer different, um, you know, beverage offerings. Like we had some of the best wines <laughs> in the world in Japan and we're like, This is insane. And everything I remember we were tasting, like, you know, we had those really old, like, um, like 61 Barolos and things like that. And we're like, oh, this is a risk. But it's, I mean, it was a lot cheaper than in Australia. So we're like, let's just do it. Let's risk it. But because you can tell that, you know, everything's been cellared properly and been taken care of and the way that, you know, they've taken care of the wine, like all the wines were just incredible. It was it was insane. <laughs> we spent a lot of money, but we saved a lot of money over there because I was like, we'd never buy this in Australia because it's too expensive.
1: <laughs> well, what makes a great food and wine experience, and how do you um, approach
0: that? Um, I kind of I approach it. I think it's really important. It's it's hard. It's hard going from like a fine dining restaurant where everything's food and wine matching, and then it, going into a bar setting or uh, well, restaurant and bar setting so we do matching wines as well and we the wine list is around 400 bins at the moment <laughs> I say at the moment because I might I would like to <laughs> increase that <laughs> if my boss is listening um, <clears throat> but for me now is really it's so much about reading the table like I feel I've really switched I remember. When we first opened Bebo, and, you know, I was five years younger. I was like late 20s. really wanted to prove myself. And I had like a – you almost have like a few agendas. Like I was like, I really want to push Portuguese wine because I think it's incredible. And I had Chef's Portuguese. You know, I want to push this. I want to push that. I like skin contact, uh you know, biodynamic organic, blah, blah, blah. But now, instead of that, of course, I have my favorite wines, my favorite wine regions – um but more now I just kind of took a step back and honestly I think it's from COVID the amount of stuff that we learned um, at Bebo from COVID was just incredible and when just before we reopened like I literally had to rewrite a new list but I think it was one of the best experiences that I've had because it made me go okay let's actually look at our customer look at our client base and so instead it's more I look at the table and I'm like, okay Let's have a look. I've got three girls. They're catching up. They don't want to talk to me, but they just – they don't want to talk to us, but they're here because they love the atmosphere. So let's get them something that, you know, something they actually want to drink. Like, you know, if they want a dry Provence rosé, no worries. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, that's – I'm going to – that's your experience tonight. And then I've got a two, and it's a special occasion – and they want a little bit, you know, more interaction. Then I'm going to cater for them. And then you've got, you know, four businessmen who want to impress their clients. You know, it's more about instead of for me pushing my agenda and my favourite wines, it's more going. How can I elevate your experience? Like, why are you here tonight? And yes, if you want an amazing food and wine experience, I'm going to offer that to you if you don't want to talk to me that's cool as well like I feel like that's where I'm at now I'm like how am I going to make this the most seamless experience for you and not intimidate you as well like I don't want you to come into the wine bar and freak out when we have so many first dates if you ever want to take someone on a first date take them to Bebo it's the best we're experienced at it. <laughs> We've got amazing bar seating. I love it. we actually we always love it. We've even got like a little code for our first daters. We're like just <laughs> let him be for a while. <laughs> Don't scare him um but yeah, I think that's that's where I'm at when when it comes to there oh, you go.
1: You've been with Bebo since it opened. Tell us about how that started for you and what it was like creating that list for your first list for the first time.
0: It was so much fun, (laughs) first of all. um, It just happened so organically. It was really bizarre. So I was working at Rockpool um, and Jose and Jonathan. So you've got a few owners, but the main ones. um, So Jose's our executive chef. Um, who also owns Fish at Peter'sham and Sweet Belem Cake Pretty. and then Jonathan, who's a restaurant manager. So they're both owners, and they're looking for a sommelier. Um, and we kind of we I love I love when you meet with somebody to like a sneaky job interview. So we went had a sneaky steak at Chop House um, across the road. You know, I felt like I was had to put the black glasses on. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> no one sees me, um, and. we just everything they were like we need a head sommelier I was like who knows how to do this so I was like yep and um one of the other owners has his own private cellar. they're like we need somebody to catalog that and be able to price that and you know I'd been looking after David Doyle's wines um for the last year so I was like oh like what has he got (laughs) he's like you know (laughs) I was like oh I was like yeah easy easy you know he's like lots of classic Aussie and I was like oh yeah that's really easy Um, and then jose was like oh and i you know do you like portuguese wines and poor jose just opened this can of work i was like portuguese and i just like listed all the regions all the sub regions madeira portugal and he was like in the end he's like all right all right you know portuguese wine.' he's like you know more than me i was like yeah (laughs) it's like not hard no (laughs) Um, and then yeah they were just they were so supportive they were I mean, you know, I had to come up with a concept, um, but they, all of the owners, just were like, "Do you think?" You know, um, the hardest. Oh, it was pretty funny because it's five owners, um, so we've got—I call them—three silent, not so silent partners, <laughs> who are lovely, and <laughs> um, but they kind of just really encouraged me and. You know, I kind of sent them a draft. I said they're only because they were all recommended because they all love wine. And I was like, you could only recommend me three wineries each because, you know, I was getting all these emails going, oh, this wine is really good. And I was like, all right, guys, <laughs> let's just chill out. <laughs> um, yeah, so they were just, it was just really fun, really fun constructing. I mean, the, the most important thing about a list, like if you're doing a new list, is just budget that's the, I guess the hardest part, um, is you just really like, okay, how much can you spend that first, first month? And then you go from there. So I've been doing a lot of consulting and that's, you know, just trying to fit everything into that box and trying to, you know, almost cross all about, bar- all, uh, go across all boards and make sure that you're kind of representing everything, um, depending on the list. But, it started there. It's so cute. Like I look back at my old list and I'm like, oh, so adorable. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, look at that. You know, you, if you talk to any psalm, it's like the spelling mistakes. You know, the common ones like, like Marsan Rusan because Rusan's got two s's and two n's. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you, know, you see, like I remember one of my old mentors, Richard Healy. Um, who was the Bev director at Rockpool at the time. And he came in and I was like, no. I was like, no, don't tell me. I was like, he's like, look at this spelling mistake. I was like, oh, I'm so annoyed. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just just a lot of fun. But it's more, I guess, it's fun to write it, but to see the evolution of it is just like, is really incredible. And I think it's like, it's the more I think about it, because we've been open for five years now, the more I'm like, I think about other sommeliers and who, what other sommeliers have been in a position for five years to see their list evolve like that, um, you know, in a small operation, like it really has taken five years to kind of get get where it's at. And I was just, I was like, I, unless there's a, you know, there's a couple of people who've stayed in roles, but we do tend to hop around, whereas I just, I think, you know, maybe my owners knew that. That I just, because I had ownership of the list from the get-go, that it's almost for me to kind of leave it. It'll be really, if I ever do, I'll probably be there in 20 years. (laughs) Um, But it'll it'll be really hard if I ever have to let it go because it's, you know, it's my baby.
1: There's uh, an inability for all of us to travel internationally at the moment, and you've been to many wine regions. How important are those wine experiences for um, young sommeliers to get out there and travel the world and go to these wineries?
0: Really important, like super, super important. Um, I just think it's with everything. Like I'm actually studying my diploma again. A uh, diploma, not again. Started my diploma with WSET. And I've got an exam. I'm doing Cautomazos Milius Advanced again in August and just restudying everything. So I remember studying all these things before I traveled, before I met winemakers um, regularly. And, you know, it's just to just sit there and study and know the knowledge to, you know, I just think traveling is really important. But tasting—it's—it's it's a catch. It's in between traveling and tasting wine all the time, which is you know really hard thing to do. Sorry, guys, you're gonna have to taste wine all the time. Um, <laughs> but it's just understanding. Like as soon, like as soon as you go overseas, and that's why I love. Like I remember tasting American wine all the time. Yeah, oh, I just don't really get it. And then going to America and being like okay I totally get it now I understand what your ethos is like where your inspiration came from like I get it so I think it's you just have those oh my god hallmark moments so if you can afford to do it do it do it when you're studying because then you can claim it as as educational
1: Well, yeah, you've released your first wine that you did in uh, collaboration with your friend Nadia Wellington that you mentioned a bit earlier. Tell us about what it was like creating that wine and, and what it actually, uh, what it came out like. Uh,
0: <clears throat> yeah, so a lot of fun. Um, so this first, so the first vintage was 2019. Um, we, it was her 15 year anniversary for Wellington Wines. So we we thought it would be very special to kind of do it from there. And, you know, we've been friends for so long and we spent so much time there. Um, the vineyard itself is really I've, is really special. People don't realize a lot of New South Wales wine, people buy a lot of wine from this vineyard because it's been biodynamic organic for eight years. Um, and it has all these like different quirky varietals. So, I mean, you've got classics like Chardonnay and Cabernet and things like that. But they've got um, bush vine Grenache, they've got Cab Franc, Tempranillo. It does feel almost like when you go there during summer, it feels like a kind of Spanish continental kind of climate. So we first we had to decide on what varietal. So we're either going to do Cab Franc or 100% Maved. And I really love Adam Foster's um, 100% Maveds from Heathcote. And I thought it was kind of similar, like, it gets quite hot, but it does have those cooling um, cooling winds at night. And his, I really love his wines, and they were kind of the inspiration for me behind that. And, and then Nadia totally agreed. She was like, nobody's, you know, making 100% Maved, you know, unless it's like Barossa or Heathcote, and that's it. Um, and we both love Shiraz and, like, Cool Climate Shiraz, so we're kind of going, let's kind of make it like that and the first it was a really hard vintage it was like super hot um which i learned when i i thought when it was super hot i was like oh it'll just like ripen really quickly and it'll just be like a hot vintage like you'll feel it will be higher in alcohol um you know really fruity and almost like a fruit bomb but i learned that the vine just shuts down <laughs> it just has a dummy spit and it's just like nah like i don't want to I don't wanna make anything. So it was really interesting to kind of go okay. Like it was really hard, you're like you can feel the sugars arising, but the pheno, like the phonological ripeness, like this isn't there yet. Um, so we had to do like four different picks. Um luckily it cooled down a little bit just at the end. So we had to do four different picks. So the first pick we did for like for the acidity and the brightness and the freshness. Then we did a middle pick and did two batches. Um, So one was like 100% whole bunch, which basically just we threw bunches into a barrel and you wrap it in cling film. Um, And it looks really weird. Um, um, And then you kind of give it a stomp and that adds aromatic complexity. And then the last one we picked was for like the alcohol, the fleshiness, you know, the the mid-palate and we had to throw, <laughs> we, this is this is when it got really fun is when you blend all of those things so one of the barrels we had many arguments over which i think it's very good to learn how to you know healthy arguments are great um, and we had heaps of arguments about that barrel so we ended up throwing that one away <laughs> because it was too volatile and Nadia she's wine making so she's wine making background so for her any wine faults is I actually, she's going to hate me that I'm saying this, but going out for dinner with her, I'm like, what's wrong with this wine? <laughs> I'm like, is it bready? Is it volatile? Is it cork? Like, she's got, she's one of those people who has like razor sharp cork taint senses. I like my, I can get it if it's like, you know, really easily ident- identifiable, but she'll be like, this is cork taint. I'm like, where? Where? She's like, the palate's really stripped. I'm like, oh, I'm not taking you anywhere. <laughs> um, but, you know, she's got a super palette, which is amazing. And amazing for, you know, amazing um, for a winery as well because she can pick up on these things. Um, so we threw, yeah, so we had to get rid of that one. There was another barrel, which she also kind of didn't really like. And I was like, no, we need this to kind of lift up um the other aromas otherwise it's going to get too big so I had to bring I think I brought like four different Maveds and we did this kind of benchmark tasting and one of them was Adam Foster's and I was like look at this wine <laughs> she was like okay <laughs> um so it's going really well we didn't make anything in 2020 because um of the fires and then this year this year was just too easy like the the growing season was super even so we just picked it once when we called, like, she was like, how do you want to make it this year? And I was like, sorry, this is really technical, but I was like, I was like, oh, I was thinking um, destem, but whole berry and then a little bit of whole bunch. And she was like, oh, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, awesome. <laughs> like, this year we were like, we're totally on the same page and we learnt from that 19 vintage. And this year they've also bought a vineyard in Orange, so we're making – um and it had some Italian varietals in there. So we're making it 100% anise as well, which, again, we're just super on, like, just on the same page. We were like, we're going to make it like this. Yep, awesome. Tick, tick. Um, it's nearly ready for bottling. So I just have to get my uh, <laughs> to get my shit together and start selling it. <laughs> I sell it at Bebo. It's in a few other. It's in, like, um, it's at PS40 in the city. <clears throat> it's at Native Drops. It's at five ways, but it really is just lots of like calling friends, being like, hey, do you like this wine? Do you want to list it? Thanks. <laughs> I'm not a very good hustler when it comes to that sort of thing, but I'm trying to get better.
1: Well, with an inability to travel overseas at the moment, everyone's sort of traveling around Australia. Is there any kind of wine regions for you that really stand out at the moment that people should be looking into? Um,
0: Yeah, so the first one, I mean, New South Wales would definitely be Orange. Um, I mean, I'm from there, but it's just got amazing. Even the food scene's just incredible now. We've actually got cocktail bars now as well. And just the winery, the experiences, like there's a lot of new wineries who are creating new experiences, which is really cool, like Nashdale Lane. Um, I know do glamping and things like that. Um, Another region we got to go visit um, (laughs) before Melbourne went into lockdown again, um, but was Beechworth, was just incredible. And the Macedon Ranges as well. We did like a little kind of circular trip. And it was, they were just so much fun to visit and almost like, maybe I'm getting older, but learning about Australian history, like going to Beechworth and then, you know, learning that, you know, the vines were there from, you brought there from when it was the gold rush. And, you know, I, I remember traveling around these areas when I was really young with mum and dad and all the kids in the car and finding it so boring. And now I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. <laughs> I'm like, I am getting old. <laughs> um, but those those little pocket, and I I think I really love them because they are little pocket regions that, you know, they're really community focused. It's not like, you know, big tourism board, you know, not not there's anything wrong with that as well, but for unique, those kind of unique experiences of, you know, sitting down with a winemaker rather than just going to a giant winery and, you know someone kind of serving you who yes of course they're educated and they learn about wine but it would they were really incredible just kind of hopping around those little wineries and just seeing the little nuances even you know at Beechworth we're at the top seeing like Tessa Brown um, at Schmaltzer and Brown which was like you could feel it's cooler and then just driving down to where like Castagna and um, Teocondra and it immediately got warmer just like the, that kind of stuff is really cool.
1: Well, uh, Luella, I'm sure that we could um, take a deep dive and hear a lot more about your wine adventures. Perhaps we'll have to catch up again down the track. We've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to share your story. Uh, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon.
0: All right. Thank you so much for having me.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep.